Hey podcast people, welcome to another episode of City of Champions, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. If you're starting or building a business, ATB's Entrepreneur Center is a great place to go. Naturally, they can help you with your banking, but they can also offer you workshops and networking opportunities, can even help get you set up with a mentor. If you're looking for other great podcasts, make sure to check out the albertapodcastnetwork.com. Now with hockey season right around the corner, uh, you might want to brush up on your knowledge and they've got a couple great hockey podcasts on the site called The Fourth Line Podcast and Hockey Feels. So go give them a listen. Today, I am pumped to bring Chris Little on the podcast. Chris is making a name for himself and doing fantastic things in the personal training industry and he's also starting his own podcast called The Lifestyle Chase. So make sure to keep an eye out for that one. And enjoy this week's episode with Chris. Double sided, so they can hear you too, and not just me. That'll be good. <laughs> so, what do you what have you been up to since I saw you last? So, uh, let's see. I've been uh, really pushing to uh, amplify my social media presence. Mm-hmm. So, a typical day for me, like I'll train maybe four to six clients or classes in a day and I'll hit up a spin class at cycle bar but then I'll put a lot of work into the articles that I post for L2 and I do a lot of videos and behind the scenes that takes up a lot of time so putting in a lot of uh, really long days knowing that it'll pay off and it's helping a lot of people all at once. So just grind and hustling. (laughs) Do you do anything for fun? You know, (laughs) but to be honest, uh, spin is something that I classify as something I do for fun because it kind of, it has that built in social atmosphere. A lot of the people who like become part of the cult, they go there for that good visit. Uh, when they're trying to overcome some shit they have going on in their life, they Mm kind of have that community sense. They look to their left, look to their right. Everybody's in it together. Mm So that's kind of a a social aspect for me. I did a 24-hour camping trip with some friends not too long ago. Where'd you guys go? Uh, We went to Crescent Falls. So that was good. Good little reset. Makes me feel like I didn't miss out on the whole summer. I got to get some camping in. Before the weather turned to the shit that it is now, right? Totally. Like, I couldn't have had better timing. It was one of the last good weekends. We uh, had some classic uh, drinking games and... uh, We went and saw the falls, did a little short hike down, and then I had to hustle back to Edmonton to work with some clients, but it was good, a little refresh. I noticed a lot of trainers seem to have very little free time. And like, is that just the nature of the game? Like, is is there anyone who balances their time more? Or is is it that you have to fill your schedule in order to actually have it be financially profitable? I think for someone that wants a big reward coming out of it, for someone that wants it to become like their sole income, they really have to, to play the game. They they have to be willing to uh, work with people when it works for those people and then build their life into that. And the faster that you can uh, understand that, the, the faster you'll accelerate your, uh, your success kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Where does it ultimately go with trainers? So like, cause you only have so many hours in a day um, and you definitely, I'm sure, you know, need to carve out time for yourself at some point. Um, so how do, how do you grow as a, as a personal trainer? Like, do you just start charging more per hour, per session? Like, do you dabble into the online world where you can, where you can really like hit scale and just take on a ton of clients? You're not limited by your physical space. I think the biggest thing is consistency and like understanding that it's what you're doing in the moment in the session that's going to really pay off. So I go into a session and I think, okay, I need to check in with my client beforehand, like see how they're doing. And then during that session, it is my, my responsibility to make sure that they're in a good position while they're lifting, that they're getting what they want from the session. So feedback is a big one for me. Like I'm always like, Hey, how are you feeling? Where did you feel that? Mm. Uh, what's your rate of perceived exertion? Like you can't overdo that. It might seem kind of like, oh, well, whatever. It's just imaginary talk, but checking in because then you finish off with that one client out of however many you have in the day and they had a good experience. And then you get into that next client and you make a good experience. 
And then over time, people are gonna associate what you do for your job as a good experience, which kind of gives you more, more of a good reputation so that when you put on events, sometimes events can be a good uh, point of profit. Sometimes it's just for helping other people out. Mm -hmm. um, then that gives you a reputation where you can actually turn that into something that's like substantial additional income. Uh, the better reputation you have, the better your book will do. And then, yeah, like I, I don't think it's wise for new trainers to do online training, but a trainer that's been at it for a long time with a good reputation has something to go off of for their online training. Like I really, I believe that you can grow it into something, but not quickly and not with haste. You have to be consistent for quite a bit of time. And that's what I see some of the leaders doing, just consistently learning, consistently providing a rewarding experience. Right. It's like you, you, everyone, everyone wants the quick fix. Everyone wants to ascend to the top ranks. Everyone wants to be at the finish line, but they don't want to run the race kind of thing. Right? 100%. You have to be patient, grit your teeth and play the game. So for you at the end of a session, what is it, what does a good session feel like? And what does a bad session feel like? Well, how does that reflect onto you as, a, as the trainer? A good session for me is, uh, we've gone through everything that I've planned through the program. It doesn't have to be like to a T sometimes a different day for a person is going to direct us to work on different muscles. Sometimes it's going to be more mobility. Sometimes it's just a matter of like, they need to calm down their central nervous system because they had a really shit day. And kind of one of my golden rules that I build into a session is we end it with a high five. And that's just a good feeling. Like you think about every time that you've high fived somebody, mm -hmm. did you feel bad about that high five? Like, well, if you miss and people are watching, oh, and then you fix that. Like <laughs> I've missed a lot of high fives. People have seen it, but if you uh, correct that, then you, you feel redeemed. Right. But, uh, just having that pleasant ending where I've asked if they, if they have any questions, we answer them. I ask if they have anything they need help with and I'm always like an open book like some of my clients will work on their own stuff during other training days like in their own home gym or at a, like a city gym and I'm always an open book so that if they weren't sure about a certain movement they feel like really comfortable with asking me kind of thing mm -hmm. so just that like feeling of closure knowing that uh, my client is confident in their skin and that they have a feeling of being stronger and happier. Mm -hmm. uh, an example of a bad session would be if the client left defeated. Right. Like if they just shut it down. Now what, what like, can you do at the end of a bad session before they step out of that door and leave you to mitigate that, to mitigate that feeling of failure or defeat? Sometimes you uh, have to just sit down, talk it out, try and assess what is like the, the trigger of that feeling. But really, like somebody's not going to be like, well, actually, now I'm going to spill all my feelings to my trainer. Mm -hmm. So like as a trainer, it's kind of my responsibility to become as relatable as possible. So I have a lot of personal stories and points of vulnerability that I can share. Mm -hmm. And like if, if I'm not willing to put that on the table then who am I to ask them to do the same thing? So sometimes just telling personal stories like, hey, this is where I started out, this is my journey. I know what it's like to be there. I know what it's like to feel self-conscious helps quite a bit because then you're on, on the same team and they know it. Mm -hmm. You're a guy who doesn't really struggle with ego, it seems like you've, you've got your ego pretty much in check. Have you always been like that? I hope so. <laughs> Uh, well, take me back. What kind of kid were you? Like, let's let's get the origin story. I uh, my parents brought me up really really well. My parents were both teachers. Uh, they've both done a lot of different jobs in their life. But uh, I'll tell you one story about a time my dad and I went to Walmart, and or actually no, it was the Bay. I remember because the Bay is just you get more embarrassed if a scene is made because it's a big story. <laughs> But you as the kid or the parent, you embarrassing your parents? Me embarrassed. Oh. My, my dad was being a good dad in this moment. We, there was somebody that I had gone to, I think it was junior high with. No, not junior high, elementary school with. And my dad knew that they were my classmate. And I was kind of shy and it was one of those situations where you don't say hi back kind of thing. 
So we're walking around and this person's like, hi, Chris. I didn't see anything. I looked the other way. And then like my Cold dad was shoulder like, them. Holy oh, hundred percent. And that's like so bad. Yeah. <laughs> so my dad took me aside into like the women's brassiere section of the bay. <laughs> <laughs> so first I was blushing because this was not my comfort zone. No. I mean, like the ladies underwear. And then my dad was like, look, you can't if somebody says hi you need to say hi back like right. it's not a point of question and then that kind of stuck with me and i just remembered you know like nobody's that big shit that they can uh put somebody else down mm -hmm. or uh not give back what's given to them kind of thing mm -hmm. and that was kind of one of those life lessons and my parents built a lot of that into me right. so i'm lucky for that that's that's kind of an interesting uh situation because it's like that that age-old sort of um, you know scenario where you go oh I think that person's an asshole or that that girl's a bitch or something like that because they don't talk to anyone or they're not smiling or whatever not realizing that like a lot of the times like they're feeling uncomfortable too right like it's not because they don't want to talk to someone they, it's just because no one's talked to them or or maybe they're an introvert or they're shy or they've had a bad day or there's a million reasons but like we always it seems like we always project the worst assumptions on on the unknown right so if someone says hi or if you say hi to someone they don't say hi back in your case it was because you were shy right it's not because you thought you were a big shot as a junior high kid and so it's it's i don't know for me like there's this social there's this momentum of sociability like if i'm working from home and i haven't been outside at all haven't really talked to anyone for the, for the day and then i go out and i hit the grocery store or go to the coffee shop or whatever i feel introverted i feel like i don't want to talk to people but the second you're like forced into having like one or two conversations all of a sudden it's like the floodgates open and then it's just like you're 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 into being social everything a flip a switch just flips like do you ever get that do you ever feel that totally if i it's the same thing if I'm working from home, if I'm doing articles by myself, if I'm not around people, then I'm more inclined to seek out things where it's just me, where I'm by myself, I'll be more uncomfortable to be around people. Mm -hmm. But uh, if I spend the whole day at the gym and you have like clients coming in and you're saying, hey, how's it going? If, then you're working with your own clients and messaging people on Instagram all day like you're going to seek out situations where you can socialize so yeah do you think we get the same um, whatever trigger in our brain that sociability trigger from social media like when we're talking to people versus when we're in person with them is it a similar effect or it's interesting because uh, being in a lot of different social settings, I've seen a lot of people who I know are really socially active on social media uh, be the biggest introverts I've ever seen. <laughs> and I can be one of those people quite often. Like I'm just a social butterfly on Instagram messaging people support and stuff and it's always genuine and heartfelt. Mm -hmm. But you might catch me in public and I might be like dead quiet. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it's different things. I think we need to... Uh, get ourselves into public settings and like that's that's a big uh benefit of group fitness because at some point you're gonna be like running into somebody and whether you like it or not you're gonna become a little bit more social each time mm -hmm. which is good for us good for our brains yeah well it builds relationships and it allows you to have other people that you can you can depend on and you can you can you know talk with and because when we talk that formulates and, and reconstitutes our own thoughts right if you just live life never talking to anyone you're never really truly thinking right like unless you're writing stuff down and and actively trying to like figure out processes but like when that's the reason we tell each other about our day is because it's it's a way for us to make sense of it too right it's like okay i know all these things that happen but that's just my very narrow perspective. Like if I tell you about my day, all of a sudden you pull in your, your outside objective perspective and that could help me like figure out a problem I thought was insurmountable beforehand, right? Totally, I completely agree. I actually came across a situation recently where I was like, oh man, I'm uh, worrying about all these things. So I talked to somebody that I work with and uh, they kind of helped me rehash the situation. And I think it's so important in any setting that you're in, whether it's your personal life, whether it's what you're doing for work, 
that you have people that you can just like spill it all out because they're going to be able to uh, scramble it around and like deliver it back at you and you're like oh i don't need to really be worried about that at all <laughs> right plus like the objective opinion doesn't have emotions clouding the judgment right totally so it's so much easier to give someone else um uh advice and, yeah. and not take your own right because you're like well no i'm not emotionally invested in this situation so here's the obvious answer yeah but as soon as you get clouded by those feelings it's like it just becomes a whole nother ball game Sometimes my best tool is thinking back to things that I've told other people like as advice, right. like for dealing with stress or anxiety. I'm like, well, I can't have this stress or anxiety because I specifically advised <laughs> this person how you can handle it. And that's like a good like pullback. It's like, give your head a shake, Chris. Right. Like play your own game. Yeah. Listen to your own advice. Yeah. That's social accountability, right? Like when yeah. you're, when you're, um, when you're talking a big game to other people, all of a sudden it's like, well, shit, I said all this stuff, so now I better make sure that I, I don't make a liar out of myself. Right? For sure, and it's good. <laughs> I noticed that, like, with this this young guy, I kind of spent some time with and just, you know, try to, I don't know, mentor is probably too strong a word, but just hang out with and kind of, you know, give life advice to. And I find, like, the things that I say to him, I'm, like, reflecting back on myself and, like, also teaching myself at the same time. And it holds me accountable to think, like, okay, if I told my buddy all these things, then I, you know, I better not go back on anything I just said. Totally. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a good tool. If you don't have that, you're more likely to fall out, fall off the wagon kind of thing. Yeah. Well, some people are more intrinsically and some people are more extrinsically motivated, but you just, there's no right or wrong. You just find what works, I suppose, right? Yeah. So what uh, I like the story you told me before last time we were hanging out about how you got into training. All right. Like how, how this all came to be. We're going to go back from the start. Take me back, boy. Um... So I always kind of thought I was fairly fit. I uh, started off, I worked at a warehouse for quite some time, worked there for five years, and I noticed I was gaining some weight. Uh, a lot of that has to do with like the lifestyle you put in your nine hours or whatever. You go home, have a beer, order pizza. You weren't doing anything outside of work hours, really? Pretty much. Yeah. Like You might go for a run once a week and think, holy crap, that's good for a month. <laughs> And I started to realize like, you know, I'm getting a little bit out of shape. So I like do some workouts for myself inside the warehouse. Like I did the, the classic beep test that they put you through in high school. And I was, mm -hmm. wow, like I'm just honing in, like this is my best fitness level ever. Yeah. And then eventually some stuff happened that kind of triggered me to realize, whoa, uh, this, is, this is not me being fit. This is not me taking care of myself. I had a relationship end and then some stuff with my condo all happened at once and I was like now is the time where I need to focus on me reduce the anxiety figure out my shit were you a high stress guy uh, at that point super super stressed yeah like I get anxious about ordering a burger at A&W if I didn't know what I was gonna order like we're talking like the most anxious to. not anymore not anymore why do you think that was I think it was because I wasn't uh, I wasn't as self-aware as I am now, mm -hmm. like understanding why I have feelings that I have and understanding how to uh, get perspective of situations, mm -hmm. which is what makes me extremely relatable to people who find themselves in anxious situations. And it's what makes me so confident that they're not going to always be that way because mm -hmm. some people think it's just a given like it has to be that way i'm yeah. like no like do you think a part of it was because you were living a life that like intuitively you felt wasn't the right life for you 100 like, doing this like nine hour day warehouse job that you're probably not that happy in and then like so you're kind of medicating that outside of work having a beer pizza and stuff it's just like you you know you do what you feel like you have to do to recover from the job when in reality like job like it should all just be a self-sustaining thing like it should be perpetually fueling itself right totally like since i was young i've always been someone who thrived off of creativity i was going to go to vancouver film school i've always been somebody who enjoyed fitness like my best marks in high school i think were computers health and phys ed and then they offered extra phys ed classes that were called like tundra sports i took those two yeah and then I went and I did something that was none of those things. Mm -hmm. So it's going to happen. Like, I'm going to feel like I'm going to become a downer upon myself. Why'd and you get into that job? 
Uh, it was the money thing. I was working at SportCheck as one of the department managers. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I can't move up. And in order to move up, I need to make money. That's what I had stuck in my head. That if I, if I didn't make money, I wasn't making it in the world. But mm -hmm. really, it's totally different. Mm -hmm. Like, you, you make happiness. Yeah. And then with happiness comes whatever you need to sustain that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I'm glad I figured that out. Yeah. Takes everyone a their own their own charted amount of time, but we usually get there, right? 100%. And so I hit my trigger moment. I was like, okay, like I, I've gone to a few spin classes. I know that will kick my ass. Like I, I hate the feeling in it because it's like, are we going to die? Am I going to need to go out on a stretcher or what? <laughs> but I was like, if I do like seven of these things a week, then I'm bound to get in good shape. Like I right. know I will. Yeah. So uh, my journey started off at uh, Yeg Cycle and I just hurried up and got like the unlimited membership. And I did that for something like close to a full year with very few to no stops. Like if I so missed like once a, a day, once of? a day, at least like seven, Dude, sometimes seven classes a week. So that meant <sighs> like two on Friday or something. Right? right. And I was like religiously going there. And then my friend got me into CrossFit. So I did that for uh, on and off for about a year. Mm -hmm. and While still doing cycling? Yeah, yeah. Like if you've ever seen calorie deficit, that was it right there. You couldn't stuff enough food into my face. So like, I definitely got very lean. Uh, I would say maybe at one point I got too skinny. And I was just working, working the stress away. But I realized like with all that came such confidence. And with that social aspect, like I could go into the studio, not say a word to a person. That's like something I'm notorious for. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden friendships would form. And it's really cool because I still keep in contact with a lot of people that I met through there. Mm -hmm. And just I had it in my head that, okay, this is, this is enriching for me. Like this is changing things. I even... I managed to get a raise during that time, during that fitness journey in the job that I eventually left. And I also knew that I wanted to be more and more in the fitness industry. So that's when I started working for Yeg Fitness. So I started that off as an account manager mm -hmm. and helped with selling advertising. But the real end goal was to be like at the forefront of creating that change for other people. And I was going to do it at all costs. Like I was dead set on like, being on the instructor bike or, or whatever it took. So after a lot of uh, trial and error with trying to be on the instructor bike, I was like, okay, maybe, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I am not like cut out. Maybe I am not motivating. Yeah. But I was like, I'll figure something out to, to get in that role. So I actually uh, reached out to Jordan Jeske. He was my mentor at the start because I heard his story about how he dropped everything from his industrial job and I was like, screw it, I'm gonna be a trainer. <laughs> and it was a little more spread out than that. Mm -hmm. But um, his story was something that caught my attention because I had never heard of that situation before and he just told me what he did and how he did and what to do. And so I uh, registered for my training certification and got the ball rolling. Started off uh, starting my CanFit and I enrolled in some of the Nate PFT courses at the end, I only uh, completed the CanFit and I've just uh, stuck with the three neat ones that I did because I find that I'm learning quite a bit through CanFit and the ongoing knowledge that you can get outside of that. Yeah, like those certifications, they must just really, because there's so much cutting edge research being done all the time, like that they must just really give you the basics and that's it. Pretty much. Yeah. like. Uh, the, the biggest learning point is what you seek out after and how, how you're going to maintain your skill set and stay competitive. Mm -hmm. There's so many trainers in the industry, like there's thousands. Mm -hmm. Do you so, think there's more now today than five years ago? Probably, yeah. Like, Do you see that number continuing to grow or is it tapering off? Um, it's a pretty tough industry to sustain. Mm -hmm. So I can see that a lot of people are going to put in their one, two years and leave kind of thing. And a person listening to this is going to be like, well, Chris, you're new. You haven't put in that much time. And I'm going to be like, well, just watch. Yeah. <laughs> but you lived it for so much longer than before you even became a trainer, right? Like you, you saw that progress. You're living evidence of 
the type of change that you want to help other people make. Totally. I think that's what's so that's what's so kind of true to what it is that you're trying to do. Obviously, you you know, it's same with me like living my life and and um, you know, encouraging people to like just if you're not happy, just change it, like quit, like do something different, like get your shit in order, like get your health, get your physical health, get your mental health right and then figure it out down the line like cuz I live that too. Yeah. So I really encourage people like you know, whenever someone says I quit a job, I'm like, congrats. Like, that's like the most exciting thing you could ever tell me because totally. it's like, that means you took the first step out of getting away from unhappiness, right? We get stuck in this cycle where we stay in a place because it's giving us that feeling of comfort and we're not going to feel fulfillment because we're not willing to move out of that feeling of comfort. Mm-hmm. Like most of our growth comes from discomfort. So yeah, like leaving a job that paid for my mortgage and my new car and condo fees, all those things with no other job. Like I, I actually put in my resignation and hadn't been hired anywhere yet. Yeah. I like that. And that jump, jump into the deep end, that whole feeling of like, yeah, deep end where we're possibly drowning really, uh, propelled me to, to put things together. So, uh, back to my long-winded story of my journey no it's just winded enough it's <laughs> Keep going. i uh amidst getting my certifications for training got my big break and got an opportunity to be on the instructor bike at true ride yeah which is where i made a lot of really solid really tight-knit friends and uh i was there for almost exactly a year and got to really get the feel of like what it's like to be on that instructor bike and it erased all doubts like for sure i should be on an instructor bike it was everything you imagined it would be i was like yeah no like is it better was it the same like what was it like it's it's rewarding to prove yourself right like hey i have a message it has validity Mm -hmm. i have a way of bringing so much energy that other people get energy yeah and you can't you can't discount that like now i'm riding other people's classes and i'm whooping the crap out of the place like <laughs> you encourage somebody whether it be the leader the person beside you the person behind you and they're taking that away whether they tell you that or not right and not everybody is like that so if you are like that why wouldn't you be on that bike yeah. was it hard to reconcile like because that was your goal to get up there but as soon as you're up there it's not about you right it's about everyone else in the room and it's about empowering them to to do the best that they can. So how do you how do you how do you make that flip? Uh, it wasn't tough. It's a big reward for me to see other people grow because they're on my team. Mm-hmm. And when other people on my team grow, I grow. Mm-hmm. So it's just an addicting reward. That's why it's so fulfilling to be a personal trainer because I just have a lot of people that are on my team and we're all going to kick some ass and take all the names. <laughs> That's awesome. So where, where have you gone from that point to now? From that point, uh, amidst being an instructor at True Ride, I uh, got an internship with L2 Fitness mm-hmm. and I did that for 30 days. And basically what it was, was it was an opportunity to learn as much as I could in 30 days and just see, see if I could possibly get to the caliber that I needed to be to be the best possible fit and time went by I put in a lot of, of hours and spent a lot of time around all the trainers there mm-hmm. learned as much as I could and I earned my chance they they hired me on and from that point on it's just been putting in a lot of time to learn as much as I can and learn from mentors go through material and maintain like that that quality that they uphold there mm-hmm. Cause it's a, it's a good solid team that Lana and Laura have put together, but they wouldn't be where they are without that kind of work ethic that's shared amongst everybody that works there mm-hmm. because the community that's there is very important. And so we have to do our best to take our best care of them. Yeah. So what's the, what's the culture like there is between all the trainers and between the owners? I think it's really cool because we, nobody wants anybody to lose Mm -hmm. so nobody there is going to like stack up their schedule so that they can be the most busiest trainer ever or 
make another trainer feel inadequate because it's going to make them feel better. It's, it's more of a, like my, my social media game is pretty strong. Mm -hmm. So if somebody else on the team needs help, I'm going to help the crap out of them because that's going to make them stronger, which is going to make our team stronger. Mm -hmm. If somebody's had a shit day or if they're, they're working on something, it's going to be on my mind. Like if Landon is sad, Chris is sad. (laughs) Like you're an empath. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the culture that our team has, where we're there, we're truly, I really do think of us as like a little happy family. Is there accountability there? Like if you see someone doing something that you know is wrong, or you, do you guys feel comfortable enough to sort of step up or question, or or even if you know, you're just like, hey, I don't know if you noticed that you're, you're doing this or maybe treating your clients today like this, like do you guys keep each other accountable in that sense? Totally, like I think, it might be framed in a way that doesn't make you feel like you're doing a bad job, but more that you have opportunities for growth Mm -hmm. because a trainer can, they can get in their own head pretty easily. So you have to be pretty careful about like how you're framing things. Mm -hmm. But there's been a lot of times when uh, I might try one method or one technique and then some other method or technique gets presented to me in a way that I understand that that is the more effective, more efficient way to do things. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a matter of like having team learning sessions, team meetings, and uh, going through all the different material that's coming out, like practically like hands-on kind of thing. Like if we're going to do a stretch or a corrective exercise or find a different way to attain a new range of motion, like we're going to chip away at that personally and we're going to discuss like how each person felt that movement before we apply that to clients or if we're not understanding it we're going to talk to our peers kind of thing Mm -hmm. like uh there's so much uh back and forth collaboration that it sort of directs us on the track to keeping our clients from like arching their back in a squat stuff like that right i definitely like I, I encourage my peers uh, to make sure that I'm not going down a path of destruction kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's ideal. Yeah. Who, who manages your, um, your fitness pursuits? Are you doing it all yourself or do you have someone else that you work with? For myself personally, like I've thought of uh, the value of having somebody that uh, really honed in on what I was doing for my training, but right now that's all kind of self-directed. Mm-hmm. One thing that uh, is kind of a cool thing that keeps me accountable is going back into spin. So to add some context, I left True Ride in May or so, so stopped being a, a spin instructor, not because I, I hated it, but just because I just needed to uh, clear up some things personally in my head and really focus on what it was to be a trainer and just like get that stronger. I wanted to learn even more and really focus on clients. Mm-hmm. But since then I've, I've gained some clarity and realized like how much personally I needed spin. Right. So I'm back at the bike. I think I started about three weeks ago, Nice. but in doing so, I've realized, okay, like I get really competitive when they put uh, names on that leaderboard. And as a trainer, I kind of have an edge having that abundant source of knowledge. Like if, if I don't know the answer, I can find somebody who does. Right. When it comes to like how to get the most power out of your legs, mm-hmm. how to recover the fastest, stuff like that. And so having that end goal of like, being the best <laughs> and it, at the end of the day it doesn't matter if I'm not the best but I like it because it keeps me on task yeah doing that hones in my my training because on like a Friday I'm like okay Friday I'm gonna do some heavy deadlifts mm-hmm. because I'll have two days to recover because I don't spin on the weekends and in the middle of the week I'm going to train glutes because in order to get the most hamstring engagement I need to have very strong glutes okay uh, I'll always build in that mobility that's stretching because I know from experience like if you don't take it seriously you're just gonna shut yourself right down right like, I used to teach four classes a week plus ride a few others and 
I'd be going up the stairs to my condo and my hips would crack. And like, I wouldn't think twice because I would be like, well, I'm doing fitness things that make me feel strong feelings. Yeah. And I'm healthy and yeah, like it, it's no big deal that I can crack an egg off my quad because it's so tight. I didn't think twice about, oh, maybe I should lengthen out that muscle. It shouldn't be that tight. Yeah. yeah. Like it was super tight. Mm -hmm. So knowing that I, I'll probably spend like at least half an hour a day just stretching out my quads. Never mind the other muscles. Right. Because now I understand in order to make like this pursuit of excellence sustainable, I need to build in that time or else I'll lose. So you're training to be more successful on the bike, right? Yeah, pretty much. The the nice thing is like obviously I'm gonna build in other things, but there's nothing that could keep me personally more accountable than that. Right. Like, well, that's your that's your competitive field right like that's yeah. where you go to perform yeah and a lot of the times unfortunately we don't have that like I don't really because I'm not playing rec hockey right now or, or any other rec sports like I don't have that like field of competition so for me I can only get that at the gym with my with my weights right like where it's like okay what did I lift last week what am I going to try and lift this week and that gets dangerous because if that's your competitive field, sometimes you sacrifice a little bit of form for a little bit more oomph and a little heavier weights. And then, yeah, that can go bad quickly, right? Totally. I think having the understanding of like what defines like your lifting seatbelt, I like to call it. Okay, what's that? Um, so your core bracing and your ability to attain the prerequisite skills in order to do the certain lift. So with with clients, they they might want to lift really heavy on a deadlift, and I'll know damn well that that's what's going to make them happy. But we're not going to go there quite yet until they get the prerequisite core stabilization strength to do that. Right. Because like you you're not going to put them into a situation where they're trying to brace their core, but they don't know what it means to brace their core. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to put them in a situation where they're lifting a load where they don't have the endurance to keep their core solid because like if somebody hasn't done enough core drills to keep that tight mm -hmm. while they're holding like what could be their max lift then one sudden like little shake of their abs right could cause their butt to kick back and then all of a sudden that one little thing broke the camel's back yeah, so it's a slow, slow progression of getting up there. And it is, and it doesn't mean that they're not going to deadlift, mm -hmm. but you're gonna be really creative in how they deadlift. Like right. you can do like a cable pull through, you can use like a kettlebell. Mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot of ways that make them feel strong feelings. What's your style as a trainer? My style is listening. Like we're not gonna do something that somebody just outright does not want to do, but we're also going to do things that bring them closer to their goals. Mm -hmm. So if somebody is like, well, I really like med ball slams and I want toned arms, but I also want to lose weight, mm -hmm. we'll do uh, med ball slams. We'll do things that tone their arms, but we might also have to do some sled pushes because right. they're going to do need to do something that gets their heart rate up in order to get to a point where they can lose weight. Mm -hmm. Are there, there's probably exercises that are just non-negotiables. If someone's like, I don't like to squat, you're probably like, I don't care, you're squatting. <laughs> there's a lot of ways to engage the same muscles as a squat. Yeah. So you can definitely be creative. Like a sled push, to be quite honest, you're engaging quite a few of the same things as a squat. So you can mm -hmm. make that a heavy push, make it for 10 yards, mm -hmm. and you're pretty well good to go. Right. Like you, you want to make sure that they're, uh, they're, glutes and their hamstrings get good solid training as well but you can be creative with those things too you can use bands you can use different holds you can change tempo mm -hmm. you're um when you get someone new in how often is the discussion geared towards like someone comes in and they say oh, what are your goals and all oh, my goals are i want to lose weight and get stronger or something like that and do you do you ever have to have that conversation of like, well, those aren't aren't necessarily like 
the same thing, right? Like you want to get stronger, you're probably not going to lose weight. You're probably going to put on weight. But I think what I'm getting at, not that specific example, but like, do you ever have to like dive deeper into like when someone says what their goals are to be like, okay, well, why is that your goal? Or, or, or you know, what is that meant to accomplish? Like, do you have to go farther down that line with them a lot of times? Totally. Like nobody's going to go Google a gym and, uh, actually go to their way to find a place like L2, which is in an industrial area, mm-hmm. unless they have some deeper, deeper goal. Mm-hmm. And to really dive in to find out what their why is, you're gonna need to ask more questions because yeah, no shit, they wanna lose weight, they wanna get, get muscle. Like I don't know anybody who comes to the gym that doesn't wanna lose weight and gain muscle, no matter how they frame it. Mm-hmm. When it comes down to it, it is like a mental feeling and sometimes it has more detail and sometimes it is simply they want to feel happy mm-hmm. and so one of my favorite things to ask which usually gets part of the answer that I need is in your ideal life a year from now what would your life look like mm-hmm. and then they think about it for a moment and then they think about like the things they'd be able to do that would make them feel happier and the the feelings that they'd have like not necessarily all emotional but like a great deal of clients are coming into the gym with some form of like back pain so that can be from working an office job that can be from being in a compensation position like from having shoulders hunched forward for some period of time Mm -hmm. um so they want to get rid of that they don't necessarily know the recipe to get rid of that or the source of that and so that's that's where I come into play but to acknowledge that that's what they want and not necessarily like a different number on the scale because mm-hmm. a scale is a killer a right? scale really is a killer like I I'm not saying like never look at your scale but when when what you're looking for is not going to be aided by a, a digital number or like a number on the old school ones. Like if, if that's not going to be helped, um, you're you're not going to get anywhere. Like you're going to give up so much faster. Mm-hmm. Like what what really makes a difference is that that feeling of of freedom. Like that you can go on that mountain hike and not feel winded. Yeah, that you can have more energy in your day that you have those endorphins Mm -hmm. that's that's what people come to the gym for and we just need to sort of establish that so that they understand what what they're signing up for right well people look at like physical fitness like being like like visually fit as the goal but that's just a byproduct of being capable right and that capability is really what you're trying to train the ability to go and not have to worry about oh can I accomplish this like it's so nice going through life not ever having to say like oh am I fit enough to do this like someone wants to go rock climbing you go rock climbing someone wants to go hike a mountain you hike a mountain like play you know flag football sure like not having to think like oh am I going to hurt myself can I keep up am I going to embarrass myself that's such an empowering feeling yeah and it's not about having a six pack it's about you know it's just being confident enough that like yeah I've done wind sprints in the gym for the last six months so i feel very fast and strong and I can do these things, right? You have to help a friend move. It's like, yeah, I can pick that up for you. No problem. Totally. I think all the trainers could probably agree that the most rewarding feeling that you could strive for is getting your client to the point where they are so self-aware, so self-accountable, but they honestly don't need you. Mm -hmm. And the flip side that with training, that seems like the ultimate goal, right? Yeah. The flip side is that at that point, your bond will be so strong. You see a lot of uh, clients still working with their trainers and they might not need their trainer anymore, Mm -hmm. but it's such a close friendship that it's just built in like that. That's just part of their life now. Yeah. But if somebody was like, I now feel much less anxiety. I know what I need to be happy. I am more self-aware. I feel confident to push myself physically in a safe way. Like if, if somebody was moving on because of that, then I'd feel like I did a good job. Like I wouldn't feel like I mm-hmm. failed myself or anything because right. I helped somebody feel comfortable in their own skin. Right. Well, there's training for capability 
and then training for like peak performance. Those are two very different things I'd imagine, right? Like yeah. someone who's never worked out before goes to a trainer because they need to learn what are the basic movements? How should my body be feeling? Like what's the proper form and technique so I'm not going to damage my body. Um, but then someone might get to a certain level of competency and continue going to the trainer, I guess, because they still like that motivation. They still like that push or you might just not have time to formulate your own workout routine too right? totally like it's it's like you know it's easy you go three times a week or four times a week you don't have to think about it outside of that and you go and you get your ass whooped and it's like you still would be able to work out on your own but this is just more effective for you totally that kind of goes along with uh, a lot of my clients are from spin instructing like I train I have trained almost half of the true ride instructors. Mm -hmm. I continue to train a few of them and their goals aren't so much physique because they're on the bike. Like they're, they're fit people. Mm -hmm. And so it's going to be more performance. It's about like maintenance. Mm -hmm. And so having done that quite a bit myself, I understand that like we need to just hammer down and train their core hard Mm -hmm. because they're in that compromised position for like an hour at a time. They have to be able to stabilize their core, like actually like keep it tight, keep that neutral spine or else they're going to have the back problems. Yeah. So legs are going to be jacked as hell, but everything else is going to be ravaged, right? Pretty much. Oh, uh, that's yeah. And that's, they need that glute training or else they're going to feel it probably a lot more in their quads than anywhere else. Overdeveloped quads, underdeveloped or, kind of thing. Or just knee, knee pain, stuff yeah. like that. Well, everyone likes, everyone wants to believe that their chosen activity is like the perfect activity, right? Like it's like, I do this and that's good. Not realizing like you got to cross train in life. You have to do multiple things, right? Totally. Otherwise you're just going to compromise yourself. Totally. Like I'll never, I'll never discount doing something else to progress my fitness as like a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Like, there, there are a lot of different ways to attain muscle engagement in this city, like all those boutique studios, and none of them are worse than the other. Like, you could be trying to max your deadlift, go do a bar class, and it's not going to uh, to negate your uh, fitness goals. Like, right. you're going to be engaging your leg muscles. Have you done a bar class? Man, I've done it all. <laughs> <laughs> I had someone a couple of years ago try and get me to do bar classes, and... I uh, I haven't taken the dive yet. I heard it's, like, it's tough as hell though. I'm the guy in the city with the balls to try any <laughs> class you throw at me. What's is that the like the most out there one you've done? Uh, I did the uh, the trampoline class at Soar Bounce. Okay. Now that was that was something else. For that me. seems like it'd be a blast. It was pretty neat, but they move their legs really quick, so it gets humbling extremely fast. Yeah. But. I got some good feedback about my rhythm, so I felt pretty good. So that's just jumping on a trampoline? and But like, super quick. What do you mean super quick? Like, legs out, legs in, legs out, legs in. You're moving your arms too. Oh, so you're not going really high up in the air? Sometimes you are. Sometimes I don't go so high. I'm confused. Like, like the higher you go, the slower it is, I imagine, right? Or you like start... Like, like you're not aiming to hit the ceiling or anything. Yeah. But Is that a possibility? Maybe if you really set your mind to it. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a positive answer. Holy shit. I like that. Um, Okay, let me ask you, have you done a a pole class? I haven't done a pole class. You said you'd do anything. Nobody's asked me to. I think you should do a pole dancing class. Not by myself. You're coming too. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be an interesting one. I, uh, yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I'm, I'll, I'll try anything once, twice. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so you, you, you're getting into your own podcast now. And that's yeah. great. I love it because the podcast in the last year is one of the best things that I've ever done. Um, and I'm you know really happy I've done it. And though I've kind of fallen off lately, I'm a little rusty. Um, I will continue doing it in some form or shape. Uh, what made you finally decide to take that step? I am a loyal listener to many, many podcasts in the city. Mm-hmm. I know of at least five that are people that I know that are doing their podcasts, providing really good content. And I've always thought to myself, well, you know, number one, it was like, I'd like to be on a podcast. So I'm glad I get the opportunity today. Mm-hmm. Number two. This is the first one you've done? This is the first podcast. Excellent. I've done. I'm glad so I can is... be, I can be practiced for you. Yes. You're doing great. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I've always 
thought about people that I've talked to, whether it was that I instament them or... Uh, <laughs> coined by Chris Little. Yes, I coined that phrase. <laughs> whether I instament them or whether I knew them in person from years back and always thought that their story was good. And I was like, well, I really like their story, mm-hmm. but nobody else knows their story. And finally, I was just like, all right, just pull the trigger. Like, that's kind of how I did my event when I did the Chris Little Goal Crushing event. It was, it wasn't necessarily that I thought that people needed it, but I knew that I had something to offer that would help people. Right. And same thing with the podcast. It's not that people need another podcast, Mm -hmm. but I know that I know people that could be on the podcast that other people hearing that would be benefited from. Yeah. And it's it's something that would be rewarding for me because to be honest, most most people that host a podcast, they're building that in for like their social aspect. Like you're getting a solid one hour conversation with some of the coolest people you know. So that part is exciting. Do you just compliment yourself? I like that. <laughs> Man, take it for what it is. Well, no, the, <laughs> the other thing too that I think most people don't realize and I hope they do once they start getting into it and I'm sure you will is it's not necessarily about you and it's not necessarily about the listener. Sometimes giving someone that platform is super impactful to them personally, right? Totally. Giving the, I know the guy you've got coming up first, if no one else knows his story, just having someone else recognize the fact that he's got an inspirational story probably means the world to him. Yeah. And, you know, that's, you know, you should you should aim small when you're trying to trying to impact the world. It's really hard to impact everybody, but if you can make solid individual impacts and connections, I think that's it's the best way to start, and that's the best way to continue going forward. And the best advice I've been given going into this is just to be consistent. Like it doesn't, your guest doesn't have to be a big name guest. Like as long as you just have a guest and then another guest and another mm-hmm. guest, and you mm-hmm. keep that up, then you're good. Yeah, like the learning curve is steep, and I'm I still learn every time I do one of these, and and um, you know you, you'll you'll learn your own journey. I don't want to like I don't want to muddy the waters too much because everyone, <laughs> everyone has their own their own experience with it, right? Totally. Yeah, and I've got uh, a lot of mentors for podcasts. Like I've always listened to Dean and Andrew's uh, the Fitness Devil podcast. It's great. I've listened to yours. I've listened to Laura and Landon. They both rolled out a podcast. Nice. So got a whole community of, of podcasts. So I yeah. should give a shout out to uh, Open Up and Ohm to oh, okay. uh, Chris Falconer's podcast. I've been meaning to listen to that one actually. Got I, don't, it. I, I don't know Chris, but someone's recommended it to me. That was probably me. No, someone else. Okay. Then <laughs> I go around like cross recommending podcasts to you. It'd be fun to do like a podcast summit. Get totally. everyone together and just like have a big round table session or something like I don't know how that what that looks like, but it's something we should think of once you get up and running. It's only a matter of time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, well, I see that our time is coming to an end because I got to run. Um, but this has been fun, Chris. I appreciate you coming and, and being a part of this. And like I said, super, super meaningful to me because you were that first person to reach out and just be like, hey, man, like your shit. And that was like, wow, okay, perfect. People are listening. And like also like people that aren't like just my family are listening, <laughs> you know, it's like you get out there. And, and so that was wild. And I, ho- I hope people do the same for you once you get yours up and running. You bet. And thanks for having me. It's been an honor. Hey, awesome. Glad to hear it. Okay, I'll see you around, man. All right.